The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And Michael Vannin and Suilade to all my elf friends. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, and coming up in just a few moments, an elvish and hobbitish perspective on life with What Would Arwen Do? On now every other Tuesday here on KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Beautiful music from Howard Shore, from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the original soundtrack recording, and that from Many Meetings, the music of Rivendell, the home of Elrond and Arwen. And in case you are just tuning in for the very first time, welcome. Greetings, Suilate and my Govanen. This is KUCI in Irvine. We are broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine. And this is What Would Arwen Do? And I don't know about you, but every time I hear that music, it takes, it takes me right, right back not only to these beautiful movies and the beautiful world of Middle Earth, but even though I'm sitting here in this radio station on a Tuesday afternoon, the bright, beautiful sun is shining, and... Uh, I was just immediately transported to a land where elves walk in starlight. And uh, such, a, such a wonderful tribute to the music of Howard Shore. And in case you are not familiar with it, there's a whole bunch. The complete recordings are now available on CD. So if you are just turning in for the very first time, this is What Would Arwen Do? And this is the show where... We ask, I ask, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people ask, what would Jesus do? Which I think is a very good question, but I like to ask, what would Arwen do? And in case you're wondering, well, who is Arwen? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community of people here at UC Irvine. And Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all of the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe that Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige, that with great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, 
Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So I believe that this elven quality exists in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So hopefully, uh, in tuning in and listening, that you will be inspired to find your creative gift or rediscover it and bring it into the world to enrich not only your own life, but the lives of those around you. And that creative gift might be something as simple as making a beautiful lunch for you and your children. Maybe it's planting a little garden outside. Maybe it's finger painting. Perhaps it's playing a musical instrument. Uh, Maybe it's, it could be any number of things that you, ways that you, doing that thing that just makes you, makes your heart sing, makes your heart sing and just makes you feel good doing it. And um, we, this is our first um, show on Tuesday afternoons. I want to welcome my most delightful and special co-host, Milo Lomesdown. Hi, Milo. Tani, you elf princess, it's a wonder and a blessing to be here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon in the Shire. And it's different. It's different being here in the afternoons than it was when we were here on Friday mornings. That's right. We have full sunlight, glorious sunlight outside, making the grass sing with green. (laughs) Beautiful, warm. And the adventure always continues. And one of the wonderful things about being involved here at KCI, uh, the show now has been uh, almost five years. It'll be five years in June. And you've been here with me since, gosh, how long has it been now? The end of July 2009, Um, as mortal men count the years. (laughs) And what a most wonderful... In some ways, I don't even know how I did the show all by myself before you came along. It's been so wonderful having a Hobbit companion along on the adventure with me. Well, it's wonderful having an elf princess leading the charge, (laughs) leading the uh, exploration. Well, I think we both are very um, grateful for our involvement here at KCI. I know being uh, involved here has been life-changing for me. When I uh, had a friend say, oh, Tony, what did you think about doing a little show over at UCI about your life as an elf, I never imagined how many levels my life would be transformed on, not only through learning about radio and about all different genres of music and uh, meeting such wonderful people, not only through the training, but through the years that I've been involved here, Um, but the people that I've had the opportunity to meet in the community through just going out and looking for, you know, for... Uh, material for the program and thinking about people to talk to and interview. It's its just been amazing on so many different levels, the most incredible people that I've had the opportunity to meet and interact with and through course, my involvement here. Of course, the beautiful and amazing young people, the students of UCI that are the primary motive force of KUCI, mm-hmm. it's just so wonderful to see their aliveness, their brilliance, their knowledge, their ability, and their sensitivity to music, and also 
in public affairs. It's an amazing thing. Well, and the wonderful thing about KUCI is that we are an alternative radio station. Uh, here we play, you won't hear commercials. We're a nonprofit organization. We do some public service announcements from time to time, but no commercials and nobody telling us, no uh, big conglomerate up in the sky saying you must play this, this, and you must play these artists. Um, in fact, we only play uh, non-mainstream music here at KCI. And you won't be bored. <laughs> and you will not be bored. And you may hear some music and types of music that you would have never imagined. I mean, I don't know of any radio station out there that um, that I've ever heard of that plays zydeco music. What about noise? We have a show dedicated to noise. And, <laughs> and the, the musical aspects that come out of noise recordings is truly amazing. Yes. And, of course, we have uh, jazz um, hip-hop, lots of indie music, reggae. Monday mornings, we have a fabulous and beautiful blues music show with Jeff. Mm -hmm. And Amy's show that's on just before this. Pixelated happy. Harmies. Are you kidding me? Was that not fabulous? <laughs> yes, music that makes you happy, which is very very much elf type of music, if you ask me. Uh, and, of course, Ash, um, Ashley's program that is normally coming on at 6 p.m., uh, Press Pass Music, which is just showcasing bands and music of Orange County, although today we're having um, one of the other things that we do here at KCI, which is sports. Right. Healthy body in healthy mind, healthy spirit. And today I think we have a baseball. I get I get confused sometimes whether we have baseball or basketball. I would imagine today is baseball since the basketball season is all <laughs> over. I can tell you, having watched it last night. Oh, yeah. Well, we always sometimes we just we get so carried away with. But since our, our sports tend to tend, tend to be a little, <laughs> little, little different. So a little different. But we should mention that there's actually a training uh, indoctrination orientation yes. opportunity today. Starting this very evening, so in case you, especially if you are a student here at KCI or um, a teacher or staff, and you always thought, what's what would it be like? I wonder what this whole thing about having a radio show might be like. You can come tonight. It's at 7 p.m. It's going to be right here um, on the campus, and it's actually very close to uh, where we are here at the KCI trailer. So the room number, I think it's right up here on the on the website, which our website is? KUCI.org. Yes. And for public affairs podcasts, you can go to KUCITalk.org. And for iTunes, just go to your iTunes store and search for Arwen, A-R-W-E-N, for instance, and you'll be able to see our podcasts listenable on your iPod or your <laughs> iPad or your iPhone <laughs> or your iTouch. Mm-hmm. So many, yes. Sense um, of fuse. We're not only talking about apple things here. Right, right. Although hobbits love apples. <laughs> Indeed they do, as do elves. And many of our many of our public affairs uh, programs are available through iTunes. And so the, the training, in case you thought, oh, you know, I just need to check this out. You can come tonight. There's no obligation. Uh, you can just come tonight to the first session and check it out. It will be at 7 p.m. in HICF 100K, which are the trailers right here next to K, uh, next to KCI, and the, those are adjacent to the uh, to parking lot eight here on the campus. So uh, that's a good way good way to find it. And um, it's basically at the end of Mesa Road. Right. You can turn off of University Avenue. 
And as you turn off of University Avenue, which is where Mesa Road dead ends, Mm -hmm. you just follow Mesa Road all the way until it ends. All the way up the hill. All the way up the hill. And you find the HICF complex as well as KUCI. HICF would be kind of underhill, right? Sort of. (laughs) A little Middle Earth. Yes. Sort of underhill. Kind of against the hill there, yes. So anyway, that's that's starting tonight. It's eight weeks, um, and you can come tonight and check it out. And then just, um, it's it's eight uh, Tuesday nights in a row, and you find out what all is required by the FCC, get trained on the equipment, you can learn, you know, intern on some shows, talk to some other DJs, get some training, um, do some volunteer work, and uh, maybe even have a show. You just never know where your adventures might take you. But one thing's for sure, you will meet people that are memorable and unforgettable. The folks that I've met here, from the community members, like us, to the (laughs) students, to the staff, really good people, fun to be around, invigorating to be around. And music. I didn't, there's a, there are so many genres of music that I really didn't know anything about before I came, um, got involved here at KCI. I didn't really know the difference between indie and electronic and RPM, and, and we have a big library of music here to explore as well. So uh, just one more thing about KCI, because we just love KCI, I love KCI, is that our fund drive is coming up soon, and we'll be talking about this a little bit more in two weeks on the show. Just a, a little bit we'll be incorporating, but because we're also going to be giving away some fantastic gifts on our show two weeks from tonight during the Fund Drive. But um, the Fund Drive itself will begin on April 19th and go through May 3rd. We'll have special programming during that time. Uh, We'll have special giveaways. And if you want to, one way that you can be involved here at KUCI, if you aren't going to have a radio show or something, but you enjoy the music and you enjoy the public affairs uh, programs or anything that we're doing here and you want to support independent radio, you can uh, make a donation. You can even make a donation now, for that matter, through our website, website at KUCI.org. Or be sure to kind of hang around during our fun to drive, and we'll have some really one, wonderful thank you gifts during yes. that time as well. Yes. So more information, KUCI.org. So here we are on uh, What Would Arwen Do? Asking the question, here it is, Poetry Month. So what would Arwen do, and what would a hobbit do, finding out that it is National Poetry Month. Well, hobbits and elves both love Poetry Month. (laughs) Of course, the hobbit will point out that one of the key websites for poetry is poets.org. That's P-O-E-T-S dot O-R-G. You can sign up for daily emails. You can look at the poem of the day. You can find out biographies and all kinds of wonderful things. And it's very important. Poetry was a key element in The Lord of the Rings. The Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings gets begun. The Lord of the Rings is started with three rings for Mm. the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. Mm. In the land of Mordor, where their shadows lie. And J.R.R. Tolkien loved poetry. It is it is um, kind of sprinkled throughout all of the stories, both in the Silmarillion, 
uh, which is the backstory, the uh, the backstory for all of the tales of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and uh, includes his creation story, the Ainu Lindali, uh, which in Elvish means the song of the Ainur, the song of the angels, and uh, I love uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's creation story. It's um, very similar, in a sense, to the story in Genesis, but in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, account of the creation of the universe and Arda, everything is brought into existence through music and song, and it's just absolutely beautiful, much like much like a poem, uh, it, you know, in in itself. Although it's not written as it's not written as a poem, but uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, as as we mentioned, love loved poetry, and um, it is National Poetry Month, and there is a wonderful book by Edward Hirsch, who uh, I was very privileged to have on the show actually last year during National Poetry Month. Uh, and he was he spoke here at UC Irvine during at the Distinguished Lecture, Distinguished Speakers Series, and um, came on the program. It was one of the highlights of of my. Uh, time here at KUCI, getting to meet Edward Hirsch personally. And uh, um, before that, I had found this book of his called How to Read a Poem and Fall in Love with Poetry, which is just a delightful book. It's really kind of a book for people who may not necessarily be naturally inclined toward poetry. And certainly some some folks don't really get exposed to poetry as they should, as fun, as beautiful, as lovely, as just joyous. It's wonderful to use our voice. It's wonderful to speak poetry aloud. When you read poetry to yourself, you're not getting the full benefit. You need to read it aloud. And I urge our listeners, when they go through the many, many poems and fragments of poems in The Lord of the Rings, when they come to a poem, don't be quiet. Certainly, if you're by yourself, break out and start saying those words aloud, because Tolkien meant them to be spoken aloud. Yes, yes. Um, It's it's wonderful. One of the things I like about this book is that um, it really is for for anyone. A lot of times I think people shy away from poetry because they think it's too confusing or it's too complex, but there are so many different types of poetry. And uh, I'm just going to read a little bit here from his book about the lyric poem. Uh, Edward Hirsch here says, The lyric poem is a highly concentrated and passionate form of communication between strangers, an immediate, intense, and unsettling form of literary discourse. Reading poetry is a way of connecting, through the medium of language, more deeply with yourself, even as you connect more deeply with another. The poem delivers on our spiritual lives precisely because it simultaneously gives us the gift of intimacy and interiority, privacy and participation. Poetry is a voicing, a calling forth, and the lyric poem exists somewhere in the region, the register between speech and song. Isn't that interesting? Tremendous. The words are waiting to be vocalized. The greatest poets have always recognized the oral dimensions of their medium. For most of human history, poetry has been an oral art. It retains vestiges of that orality always. Writing is not speech. It is graphic inscription. It is visual emblem. It is a chain of signs on the page. Nonetheless, 
I made it out of a mouthful of air, W.B. Yeats boasted in an early poem. As indeed he did, as every poet does. So, too, does the reader make or remake the poem out of a mouthful of air, out of breath. When I recite a poem, I re-inhabit it. I bring the words off the page into my own mouth, my own body. I become its speaker and let its verbal music move me, move through me as if the poem is a score and I am its instrumentalist, its performer. I let its heartbeat pull through me as embodied experience as experience embedded in the sensuality of sounds. And isn't that just what you were saying, that you need to say it aloud? When you say it aloud, it really sets your heart and your lungs, your mouth, your head alive. And and that is so closely related to what we all are all about here at KCI. We are... We do have our wonderful public affairs programming, but we are pretty much, we're, we're 90% music here, all kinds of music, music that's instrumental, music that's got uh, lyrics, and uh, what, is, what, is, uh, what is music with lyrics except that just poetry that's set to sound? Exactly right. And so, um, as we mentioned, J.R. Tolkien has some wonderful, wonderful poetry, and so today I thought we would share with our listeners one of his poems where he is, in one case, he is speaking. This is Galadriel's Lament in Lorien. Uh, and here we are, we're going to have the professor himself speaking the poem and then singing the poem. So we're going to hit, hear, the, hear it as first as a poem and, and then, then as a song. So this is J.R.R. Tolkien, and this is from the J.R.R. Tolkien Audio Collection. And... A tremendous, a tremendous collection of oral history from the professor himself. It's just tremendous, whether it's poetry or singing or spoken word, a tremendous thing. Yes, and this, so this is in Quenya, the Elvish language of Val- Valinor, and here is J.R.R. Tolkien with Farewell to Lorien. Ai Lauriel Lantarlasi Surinen, Yeni unotime bevram ralderon, Yeni vilinti yuldaravani ermi oromardi lissimiru voreva, Andune pella vardo tellumarnulluini, Yasentintilari eleni, O Mario aeretare livinen, Si mani yulmanin en quantuva, Ansit in talle vardo oiolosseo, Vefania maria telentari ortane, Ar iljetier undulave lumbule, As in the nori allo caita mornie falma linnar indemet, Ar hisie untupa calacirio miri oiale, Si vanwana romello vanwa valimar, Namarie, Nai hiru valje valimar, nai hiruva na marie. And now the spoken version, this the sung version. Ai lorelam tarlasis urinan, inyarunotinar biramaralderan. Ignavilintiulmarvani ermiorumarilessimeruvoreva. 
of that poem? Ah, like gold fall the leaves in the wind, long years numberless as the wings of trees. The years have passed like swift draughts of the sweet mead in lofty halls beyond the west, beneath the blue vaults of Varda, wherein the stars tremble in the song of her voice, holy and queenly. Who now shall refill the cup for me? For now the kindler, Varda, the queen of the stars, from Mount Everwhite, has uplifted her hands like clouds, and all the paths are drowned deep in shadow, and out of a gray country darkness lies on the foaming waves between us, and mist covers the jewels of Calakiria forever. Now lost, lost to those from the east is Valimar. Farewell, maybe thou shalt find Valimar. Maybe even thou shalt find it. Farewell. Varda is the name of the lady whom the elves in these lands of exile name Elbereth. Mm. And it's very interesting because that is as the fellowship is leaving Lorien to continue on the next leg of their journey. And it's interesting that she calls out to them um, Farewell, maybe thou shalt find Valimar, maybe even thou shalt find it. And we find out later that Frodo and eventually Sam as well do journey on to Elvenholm in the far west. That's right. Very prophetic uh, song there that she was singing to wish them well on their way. Right, and so she really had the gift of prophecy as Mm -hmm. well as the gift of wisdom and the gift of beauty. And speaking of the gift of beauty, J.R.R. Tolkien, in his beautiful, beautiful uh, language that he uh, made for Middle-earth, the language of Quenya, uh, as a linguish, lingu- linguist, more than 14 languages. And of course, in case people don't know about these wonderful stories, that the reason that they came about is that J.R. Tolkien loved language. He created the languages, but he said that languages cannot survive or cannot exist without a place to live and beings to speak them. And so came forth Middle-earth and the creatures. 
and we are so grateful for his tremendous creation, not only of the story, but also of the great, great poetry and the great characters, the great plot, yes, the great moral of the story. And f- for me, I love these stories because they are just full of archetypal heroes. You know, all of them, they are, they are just archetypes of, of, the, of the hero's journey on so many, so many levels. Um, so before we transition out of uh, Poetry Month, um, because we have uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle coming up, and you have some things to share with us about that. However, um, just before we move on from the poetry of J.R.R. Tolkien completely, uh, the most recent book that has come out of J.R.R. Tolkien's is The Legend of Sigurd and Gudrun, which is uh, especially the, um, the Lay of the Volsungs, which, uh, as you mentioned, is based on, uh, inspired by uh, Wagner's Rings. The, the same source material that mm-hmm. Richard Wagner used for his ring cycle of four operas. This Lay of the Volsungs that... Tolkien did is based on the same source material. Mm-hmm. It says here uh, in the in the jacket, in the Lay of the Volsungs is tongue the ancestry of the great hero Sigurd, the slayer of Fafnir, most celebrated of dragons, whose treasure he took for his own. Of his uh, tells of his awakening uh, of the Valkyrie Brynhild, who slept surrounded by a wall of fire, and of their betrothal and of his coming to the court of the great princes who were named the Nifelungs, or Nibelungs, with whom he entered into blood brotherhood. In that court there sprang great love, but also great hate, brought about by the power of the enchantress, mother of the Nifelungs, skilled in the arts of magic, shape-changing, and the potions of forgetfulness. And here, oh my gosh, how many themes do we see here? Just of the story of Barin and Lucien in the story of the Silmarillion. And, uh, uh, if I could ask you one more time to read, there's just this uh, last part that is so beautiful of the Lay of the Volsungs, Volsungs. And if people want to get the full story, of course, they will have to get their own copy of this latest book, which um, I believe it was edited, yes, by his son, Christopher Tolkien, who also, uh, were it not for Christopher Tolkien, we would not have the Silmarillion. And all of the um, extended books um, were... Uh, uh, you know, all of the, the history of Middle-earth, which I believe is something like 12 volumes, 10 or 12 volumes. It's, it's I believe, 12 large yes. volumes. It's vast. Yes. Including the lays of Balerion, all of the poems of Balerion and how they came about. Um, but would you read um, a part of this at the end of the Lay of the Volsungs? From The Legend of Sigurd and Gudrun, The Lay of the Volsungs by J.R.R. Tolkien. This is the end of the lay. Thus soon came Sigurd, the sword-bearing, to glad Volhall, greeting Odin. There feasts he long at his father's side, for where war-waiting the world's chosen. When Heimdall's horn is heard ringing, and the blazing bridge bends neath horsemen, Brunhild shall arm him with belt and sword. A beaker bear him, brimmed with glory. In the day of doom he shall deathless stand, who death tasted and dies no more. The serpent slayer, seed of Odin, not all shall end, nor earth perish. On his head the helm, in his hand lightning, 
afire his spirit in his face splendor. When war passeth in world rebuilt, bliss shall they drink who the bitter tasted. Thus passed Sigurd, seed of Volsung, hero mightiest hope of Odin. But woe of Gudrun, through this world lasteth to the end of days, all shall hear her. Mm. And there's J.R. Tolkien, so obviously, was very much inspired by epic, epic poetry, epic. Um, the Kalevala was one of his favorite pieces. It's a long, a long, long, long epic, epic poem. And the Edda mm. and all of that, mm-hmm. Beowulf, all of that old Norse, old northern stories and tales from many centuries ago. He was an expert. He was a professor. And the good news is that you don't have to be an expert or a literature major in order to enjoy poetry. It's it's all around, and maybe, you know, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I really like poetry. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe just in, um, in appreciation of National Poetry Month, uh, maybe hang out at the library a little bit and just explore some and that, see if it doesn't warm your heart. That's exactly right. For our friends that enjoy the Internet, Poets.org is an excellent source. Of course, the Wikipedia has a good article mm-hmm. on poetry. You can go to a physical library yes. and look in the Encyclopedia Britannica for its excellent article on poetry. And in case you think that you don't like poetry, um, if you've ever sung the words to any of your favorite songs, then, you've, then you like poetry. <laughs> That's right. And as a matter of fact, whether you talk about old, old stars like Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel. Mm. He was a master poet. Mm-hmm. Or you talk about contemporary artists that do things like La Vida Loca, mm-hmm. right? Coldplay. It's really poetry that is uh, very meaningful and has layers of meaning. Mm-hmm. It makes you happy to sing it, makes you happy to recite it, and also gives you a warm feeling to 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 think about the words. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to transition into some movie news before our time gets away from us again. Sounds good. Um, in the meantime, I think we should have a little music. Um, okay. A little Hobbit music, something from um, the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, the complete recordings. And I thought something just to kind of, because it seems like such a beautiful sunny day, and uh, there's that wonderful song that was not on the original soundtrack. And many of us who loved the music of the movies and uh, couldn't wait to get our hands on the soundtrack were a little disappointed to find that the um, move that the music uh, that Sam and Rosie danced to at Bilbo's birthday party was not included. However, here it is in the complete recordings. Oh my gosh! Delightful. <laughs> so get your dancing shoes on. Uh, this is from. The Fellowship of the Ring, the complete recordings, and this is um, the song uh, Flaming Red Hair, KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. And 
that little bit of Hobbit music there from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, from Bilbo's birthday party. And uh, that music was every bit as lively, I believe, as any music that you would have found in the halls of Rivendell or Lothlorien, perhaps even on the fair green mounds of Valinor. My gosh, delightful <laughs> music. Howard Shore, what a master. Oh, incredible. So let's, uh, what do we, we need an update. We need to have some movie updates on what's going on with our favorite movies coming up, The Hobbit. Oh, my gosh. Before we get to The Hobbit, though, I have to oh. mention that this day, the day that we're speaking live, mm-hmm. is April 6, 2010, which, as everyone knows, is the day the Blu-ray, the high-definition visuals, the Blu-ray version of the original theatrical movies is being released. So as they did with the DVDs, first they released the theatrical DVDs, Uh then the extended version DVDs. Today they release, this very day, April 6, 2010, they release the nine DVD collection of the original theatrical versions on Blu-ray, high definition. I've never seen that. 1080p for... The people. So, what it does will, that mean? Is that, is that something? Is that something? Uh, not being a, a very technolo- yes, technology-minded yes, elf. Yes. What, yes. What is it? What is it? What it means is, is it like three D or something. It's not three D. Mm. What it means is that at your home, if you have a fairly large TV set, like fifty-five inches in diagonal or larger, mm. if it is capable of doing ten eighty p resolution, then you will be able to see it at home in nearly the same visual splendor as you saw it in the movie theater. Oh, I need to find someone who has something like that. <laughs> well, and, The Hobbit does not friend. have a Blu-ray player yet, but oh. he is strongly thinking of getting one just for this. Well, I, I, think, I think that would be a very good idea, and then we shall have a party. That would be good. <laughs> so those nine discs, the first six are <clears throat> Fellowship of the Ring and Extras, Two Towers and Extras, Return of the King and Extras. That takes care of the first six discs. Mm-hmm. Then discs seven, eight, and nine are digital copies, digital copies of the three movies, which Mm. you can watch on your laptop if you want to, or analyze on your laptop if you like to look at movies seriously. Mm -hmm. So that's a piece of news from the the previous thing. Getting on to The Hobbit, which I know you're dying to hear about. Uh, First of all, the OneRing.net, one of our favorite websites, Mm -hmm. uh, reports that two unknowns, Two people that really no one would know the names of. I Mm -hmm. must confess, even The Hobbit had not heard Hmm. of these two people. Unknowns are being auditioned, and the rumor is that Guillermo del Toro is probably going to choose an unknown for the role of Bilbo in The Hobbit movies. So that's the rumor. We don't know anything yet. And Hmm. part of the reason we don't know anything, Elf Friend, is the practical nature of money. I know elves really don't think much about money, but hobbits, well, we are we are constantly thinking about money. Yes, we, and... we need to think about money more often, but <laughs> we're so preoccupied with starlight. Oh, my gosh. Starlight is so much more fun than money. <laughs> but there is a motion picture studio called MGM, and they own half of the rights to the Hobbit movies. Well, they are bankrupt. They have 140 mm. creditors that they owe money mm. to. And those creditors had an original deadline of March 31st. Well, guess what? They've extended another six weeks through basically May 15th Mm -hmm. to to get their bankruptcy organized. But an interesting thing pointed out from uh, Wired.com by Scott Thill, he says, how about the possibility of Time Warner buying just the rights to The Hobbit from Mm. MGM? 
Hmm. That would give them an instant cash infusion, be good for Time Warner, and would allow the movies to go forward. You see, Elf Friend, what happens with movies is you cannot sign actors to play anyone until there's a green light, and there's no green light until the movie is funded. Mm. And so Time Warner has oodles of money to fund these movies. We don't want something else to come along and someone else to offer something, you know, uh, irresistible to Sir Ian McKellen or uh, Hugo Hugo Weaving. Weaving. Yes, and they can't just hang out. So so we're hopeful of that. But Mm -hmm. in the meanwhile, another really exciting thing, one more really exciting thing from uh, the weekend that was on examiner.com, Colin Parker points out something that was originally reported on Total Film, which quotes, Del Toro is wanting to make The Hobbit in 4D. Now you ask, what is 4D? Well, that's 3D plus something extra. Avatar was groundbreaking in so many ways, Del Toro said, but now everybody is doing the exact same thing. Alice in Wonderland, Clash of the Titans... By the time the Hobbit films come out, we'll be old news. Everyone will be sick of 3D. So how to inject some new blood into the formula? Well, Del Toro spoke with Peter Jackson, and he mm-hmm. told me that the guys at WETA have been looking into the possibilities of a fourth dimension. And I immediately said, let's do it. And what it is, is deeper involvement by the audience. In the 1950s, William Castle employed ambient in the cinema house techniques, including buzzers in the individual seats and skeletons flying over the audience during these horror movies in the 1950s. Well, what Del Toro and Peter Jackson are thinking of is maybe having the idea of heated seats, which will warm up when Bilbo enters Smaug's lair, which, of course, is very hot from the dragon. Or like they could have like, you know, the smoke stuff that comes out from the side of the the theater thing, you know, for it, like being in the dungeon part. A- absolutely. You could have dry ice, which is totally yes. harmless during the dungeon scenes. Uh, water sprays for the cave scenes with Gollum. <laughs> They're talking about all these things. And actually, <sighs> Disneyland and Disney World have an attraction based on one of the Pixar movies where there's actually sprays of water coming at you in the theater seats. Now... The thing about this, though, is you, you'd have to kind of rebuild some movie houses. Well, it turns out that you can you can actually put add-on equipment. You don't have to rebuild oh. the movie house. You do add-on equipment that the movie houses would rent, use for the run of the movie. Well, that, and that would and be good for the movie back. industry. So, And then, of course, that would start a whole new trend of things that... Um, because, and I think it might be very appealing to people because, as we saw with 3D, people like to be... Now that we have technology and the ability to really be a lot more present and immersed in the movie as though we are actually in it and participating, you know, now we've kind of got our appetite wet for that, um, to be able to have an extra sensory experience as well. You know, now it's all basically visual. This would in- employ some of the other senses, smell, And in touch, fact, they are trying uh, to look into the idea of spraying aromas in. In particular, yeah. Del Toro mentions the troll scene and how he'd like to have some sort earthy. of unpleasant uh, or earthy aroma coming in there. Yeah. So that is an exciting piece of news. So while the financial things are being worked out, uh, he and Richard Taylor, the award-winning uh-huh. special effects supervisor are all working on 
you know, designing Oh, and if Weta, if anybody can do it, uh, Del Toro, Peter Jackson, and Weta. I mean, here you have Peter Jackson who, you know, groundbreaking with the Lord of the Rings movies to begin with. And then, of course, Weta, who did such an incredible thing with all with all of the weapons and the, you know, so, and then, and someone, a visionary like Guillermo del Toro that's saying, let's, let's create another dimension of our movie experience. How wonderful might that be? Well, really, really exciting that Weta, of course, was the award-winning group that was at least partly responsible for the brilliant effects that are in Avatar, the Oscar-winning effects in Avatar. Mm -hmm. So there's the movie news. Wow, that's exciting movie news. Oh, my goodness. And uh, how the time does fly. (laughs) Well, we still have to mention a little bit about the rings. Well, um, and we want to mention a couple of things that we we still want to talk about a bit today. And that is, of course, I am just um, pea green with envy. uh, if ever an elf could be pea green, at uh, you your little adventure coming up of going to L.A. for the ring si- a portion of the ring cycle is that correct? That's right. I've seen the previous three operas, and Sunday, this coming Sunday, April 11th, I'll be going with a friend to see Gerda Dermerung, the fourth and final opera of Achim Fryer's brilliant production of the Richard Wagner cycle of four operas in German. Uh, the Ring of the Nibelungen, based on the same Volsung saga that we saw in the Tolkien book that we just read. Now, tell us a little bit, in case people are kind of like, what's, what's this whole wing cycle thing about? Could you <clears throat> give us just a little bit of background about that and, um, you know, what, what this is about and why it's, why it's particularly of interest that it's going to be in Los Angeles? Well, it has never, ever been produced in Los Angeles before. This is the Los Angeles Opera Company doing it. Placido Domingo, the general director, and James Conlon, the music director, uh, worked with Achim Fryer to make this visually stunning and very emotional production with excellent singers and a really tremendous, a really tremendous set design. So, what's important about the Ring of the Nibelung is it's based on that same source material that we heard from the Tolkien book, the new mm-hmm. Sigurd and Gudrun book. And really, Tolkien himself, although Tolkien did not like Wagner, there are many, many people that will tell you there is very much in common. If you look at The mm-hmm. Ring and the Rings, uh, Wagner versus Tolkien by Alex Ross, the famous music critic of uh-huh. the New Yorker magazine, uh, there is something in common. And you have a beautiful book in your hands. Oh, yes. Um, early on, when I fell in love with Middle Earth, I was always out hunting for anything relating to Tolkien, the story, the backstory, the side story, any additional information that anybody had. And I came across this wonderful book at the time. This is actually a book that was printed by Barnes & Noble, their own their own book. Um, it's by David Day and Alan Lee. Alan Lee is the illustrator and who was the major consulting illustrator for the Lord of the Rings movies and is the one who also um, illustrated the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Ted Naismith was the illustrator for the Silmarillion, but Alan Lee was the illustrator for the Lord of the Rings. And this is a beautiful book, a little bit about uh, David Day is the author of the Tolkien Bestiary, which is a very fun book. Tolkien, the Illustrated Encyclopedia, 
and says he's always been fascinated by the vast complexities of Tolkien's mythology, particularly in the light of the many posthumously published Tolkien manuscripts. And uh, he's published more than 20 other books in the fields of ecology, poetry, natural history, fantasy, mythology, and a number of award-winning children's books. So this is a collaboration of David Day and Alan Lee, and it really just kind of goes into the story and the backstory and about having to do with the, the ring and the rich symbolism of the ring. So it says here that J.R.R. Tolkien had a great knowledge and love for world mythology, and the symbol of the ring in his work contains a rich and fascinating heritage. Tolkien's Ring, this book, is a literary detective work about J.R.R. Tolkien's inspiration and sources. It tells how the Lord of the Rings is the result of an ancient storytelling tradition that dates back to the dawn of Western culture, and how by drawing upon the world's primary myths and legends, J.R.R. Tolkien created his own mythology for the 20th century. So this one is really, it's called Tolkien's Ring, and it's related to the mythology and the story around the the one ring, the, the one ring to rule them all. Whereas Wagner's is the cycle of the rings. Is that correct? Is that, yes, is it it's, about it's more than one ring? It's a cycle of operas about one ring where ah. the Lord of the Rings talks not only about the one ring of power, but also the three elven rings and the nine for the, for the mortal men. But there's really only one ring in Wagner's operas. I should mention, we will be talking more about this in May mm-hmm. as the as the cycles start getting underway. And I will have a trip report on our next program Yay. about Gerda Dömrung. But I should mention a seminar, a lecture, Wagner versus Tolkien, mm. who's the real Lord of the Rings, by John Spear. And he is going to be giving this free lecture in three locations, April 20th at the Laverne Library in Laverne, California at 6.30 p.m., then May 10th at the Burbank Public Library at 7 p.m., and then May 11th at the Redondo Beach Library uh, in Redondo Beach, California at 7 p.m. So, I wonder what days of the week those are on. I'll have to check it out and see if I might be able to go to one. We know that April 20th is a Tuesday, so it's going to be difficult to get from hmm. here to Laverne by 6.30 p.m. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, that was out. So I wanted to mention that very quickly, and Wonderful. we will have more yes. uh, in the coming weeks as the Ring Festival, a major, major event for the artistic life of Southern California, works out. Yes, and our time is almost up, but it has been so much fun. I mean, the time uh, doesn't go goes just as fast on Tuesday afternoon as it did on Friday mornings. <laughs> that it does. But it's wonderful. A couple of things that um, we wanted to mention as well today, Milo, are uh, because, of course, elves and hobbits are uh, love the earth and all of the gifts of the earth. And um, one of the first things that I learned uh, as I started writing down all the things that I learned from the elves uh, and my little adventure of my life as an elf And one thing I learned about the elves was that the elves did not consider themselves as owners of the earth or owners of any of the geographical parts of the earth, uh, but they considered themselves to be stewards, that the earth was to be honored and protected. And um, so this in April is Earth Day, 
and there are, are actually quite a few events going on in lots of different places. Just a couple that are going on right here in Southern California at two places which are very dear to my heart. One, my, one of my most favorite places is here at the um, Upper Newport Bay. And this is going to be at the Peter and Mary Muth Interpretive Center, Sunday, April 25th, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. There'll be free, ad- it's free admission and activities. There'll be a scavenger hunt, interpretive programs, live sharks and rays that uh, kids can come. They can actually touch the sharks and touch the rays. I know, it's really important. Wow. Because they have the, the science discovery cool. booths there. Uh, there'll be science discovery and craft booths, I- environmental f- exhibits. The Newport Beach Fil- Film Festival will have films going on. And uh, all kinds of wonderful things. They always have food, and and it's just a wonderful way to get out and connect with the bay. And the the weather, I'm sure, will be gorgeous. And it's so beautiful. Oh yes, and and a lot of times the um, the birds of prey center will bring uh, birds of prey to to and have a booth there where people because they their whole thing is that they nurture the birds back to health. They heal, you know, help to heal the birds and re. Uh, um, take them back into the wild so they don't imprint on them so that the birds can go back into the wild. But sometimes if they're uh, injured to the certain, to the degree that they can't go back into the wild, then they uh, have a new home uh, and they use them educationally to go out and help people to become aware and of the the things that we do sometimes with our litter and things like that that, that poses uh, threats and dangers. What a wonderful birds. thing for children. Yeah. And uh, oh, it is, and and this uh, Upper Newport Bay Earth Day will be will be really a wonderful event for the whole family. And again, that's at the Peter and Mary Muth Interpretive Center. Um, the website is newportbay.org. Phone number nine four nine six four zero six seven one two, and that is for. Uh, Sunday, April 25th. And then coming up in May, just a quick note, we'll talk about it more later, uh, Upper Newport Bay Estuary Awareness Day on Saturday, May 22nd. Right. But also, sooner than all of this is than, April the 17th. Yes. And could you want to tell us a little bit about our friends at the Ecology Center? I have had an opportunity to go out down and meet those folk. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, beautiful facility there. Just a tremendous place. The Ecology Center on Alapaz Street in San Juan Capistrano on April 17th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. There will be food, music, do-it-yourself activities, a plant sale. It's the Earth Day celebration. While every day is Earth Day at the Ecology Center, on April 17th they're opening their doors to the community for a special celebration. You can bring your family and friends for a full day of eco-education fun. This is the key. The key to education for children is to make it fun. There will be a spring plant and seed sale, backyard skills workshop, sampler, porch side music, organic food, uh, roasted South Coast Farms veggies. (laughs) So the Ecology Center in San Juan Capistrano, April 17th, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., 